Welcome to us all correlated. I'm your host, Jordan Phillip, and my special guest today is Kevin D. Gods, the CEO of Dust Labs. Dust Labs has created the D. Gods NFT collection as well as the Utes NFT collection. Kevin, how you doing? GM, GM, thanks for having me. GM, of course. Thanks for coming on. I was, I was surprised you said yes. <laughs> I'm always um, down. I'm always down. And I, I think for me, it's just exciting to kind of always connect with new people and also just, you know, uh, spread the good word and, uh, and yeah, just, uh, you know, have a good conversation. I think it's always, uh, to me, to me, I think one of the most impactful things of building in this space is just the ability to be able to like reach out and, and connect with people, folks, you knew, new feet, new, new people. And I think that continues to show us just the best way to sort of get feedback on what we're doing, but also just uh, widen the audience. Of course. I think that it just shows like, Hey, these people behind the PFP are actually like genuine people. They're not like stuck up just because their PFP is worth this much or they're the CEO of this. Like they actually care. And no matter if my audience, like 140 subscribers, for example, you will still take time out of your day to still come on. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Of course, of course. Yes, sir. So to start off, what is your background prior to Web3? Yeah, so prior to Web3, I've been working in Web2 companies. And so a bunch of email companies, um, open source email, um, server email, and then most recently, you know, was my last email company it was a company called Accompli that was a mobile email app that uh, got acquired by Microsoft and then they renamed it to Outlook. And so if you have Outlook mobile on your phone, um, that was our app and, uh, you know, scaled the team. It was about, I think about 15, 16 people when we got acquired and then um, had hundreds of people as we scaled that at Microsoft and grew that to hundreds of millions. You know, the Outlook brand is incredible and uh, really was able to bring that to a really large audience. Uh, after Microsoft left and joined Instacart, uh, which was grocery delivery, and which was a really interesting time to be part of Instacart, sort of just before the pandemic and really seeing um, Instacart and grocery delivery in general and delivery in general, right, go from a nice to have to like a must have um, in a matter of a few days. Um, and then over the next few coming weeks had essentially unlimited demand because we just, you know, as a society didn't really know what to expect with COVID and, and things of that nature. Um been in crypto for a while, like uh, in the early days, you know, minted some cool stuff with like Crypto Kitties, and and you know, really back in the earliest days of like NFTs before they were really called that. Um, met Frank and the uh, D Gods team a couple years ago when they were working on a different startup in Web two before they had, had kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole, and uh, getting connected to them and just more of a, as an advisor and kind of mentor through the process. And then um, this past summer, we sort of you know decided to spin out the technology arm into Dust Labs. And so now we have a, an entity called D-Labs, which owns the art and the NFTs, and then a technology company called Dust Labs that provides technology for D-Gods and Utes, but also uh, for other brands, both in Web3 and Web2 and Web1, et cetera, with the idea of, of bringing a lot of the benefits of ownership, incentive alignment to, to these brands as they're scaling out their um, sort of plans for the future. Right. So with all your success in Web2, what stood out in crypto in general is like, you know what, I probably should go head first into this industry and leave behind, or not leave behind, but, you know, just say, hey, I'm successful in Web2, but let's see what I can do on this side now. Yeah, I think for me, if I even look back in my Web2 career, I think 
there was web one before that. I mean, when I got out of college, I'm older. And so when I got out of college, like it was really mobile. Like, Hey, it's this notion of just being using cell phones and, and having the internet on your phone was sort of pretty novel. Um, and so that transition was initially like, Hey, how do you make websites really interactive? Right. This notion of web two. And then it went to like, so I think of that as one transition. And then I think the next was like mobile first, right? Like there was a transition about eight, 10 years, maybe 15 years ago now where it was better to build on the phone first before you built for desktop or, or, or broader like PC style web. And then I think to me, this sort of web three transition or this notion of like ownership and like community and digital alignment and digital, digital art, I think is, um, you know, another transition. And so for me, I think less about like, what's, you know, the, the focus, but it's like, where, where is technology going and what does this new technology potentially enable in like a five to 10 year horizon? Right. And I think that worked out really well with that early web two transition. And, you know, I literally presented on stage at the very first web two conference, <laughs> web two, they call it web two expo. Now it is the web two conference mm -hmm. here in San Francisco. Um, 23 years ago, 22 years ago. And then, um, you know, similarly, you know, launched a mobile app, you know, in that during that transition. And so to be part of this is pretty cool as well. And, and see, you know, relatively still early in terms of where crypto and web three, um, and just how the creator sort of economy connects, right. And a lot of this is around, you know, we always just say it's incentive alignment, right? Are you aligned with the incentive of the project? And that, you know, and it's going to transcend to things like ticketing, right? Like, hey, if I go to a concert and I ticket and I now I resell that ticket, there's royalties and things of that nature is one, you know, sort of use case property ownership. How do you fractionalize? Um, we just saw a really cool launch with Polygon in Asia, launching like the first collateralized bond on, on Polygon. And so, again, just fractionalized finance allow, allows a lot of friction to come out, um, but provides a way that there's a secure and sort of auditable paper trail or digital trail in this case of what happened. Um, and so to me, it's just a broad set of opportunities of a bunch of, you know, sort of legacy businesses or um, sort of tech that we see today that I think can be transformed by blockchain. And again, not a specific blockchain. I think they all have, you know, pluses and minuses. I, I believe broadly that the application of blockchain is this sort of decentralized database is a technology that will help and be integrated into a lot of businesses, probably nowhere near the way that it is today. Like all, all these early use cases are going to pull, you know, experiments and the, and the ones that win will actually see. I think if you think of back to the early days of the mobile phone, it was just cool to look at a web page on my phone. And then we started to come up with, oh, wait, this, this phone has a bunch of sensors in it. And now something like Uber can exist because like both the driver and the rider has a phone. We can get them to connect. We can actually use the GPS was the main sensor at the time to basically find and connect two people. You know, drivers could like, you didn't have to like in the old like London taxi cab test where you got to memorize all the streets to pass that test. Now it's like you jump in and you just hit Google Maps and it just, you know, you, the driver just has to be able to follow a, a GPS map. Um, and I think the same thing will happen with what we're seeing in blockchain, like this digital art and NFTs um, and sort of like fractionalized ownership is this first phase of like showing how a community and a very aligned incentive around a project can exist. And we're going to start to see aspects of that show up in other businesses, probably not in the same way, 
but mm-hmm. the some of the primitives will be the same. Like, hey, there's a there's a notion of ownership. There's a wallet, but like, will you talk about it as a wallet? No, it'll be like, you know, there'll, there'll be some sort of um, more web two or sort of generic brand name for what you hold your items. It's like, you know, your closet or your, you know, depending <laughs> on what they are, it's like or your, you know, portfolio or whatever. And I think that to me is where we see a lot of interest and we're at this phase where there's a lot of interest in the, in the tech and the current use cases. And I think communities and NFTs have found pretty strong product market fit. Like there's, there's clearly evidence that there's something there. Now, not all of those are going to work. Um, clearly most NFTs didn't work. I think, especially ones that were launched in the bull market. Um, but I think the ones that survive are going to provide that sort of like primitives to really launch the next wave of brands and, and large sort of investments coming back into that space, you know, over the next coming five to 10 years. Again, thinking less about like what happens tomorrow. Hey, what's the price of this? Or how does this thing map? I, I think is a suboptimal way to look at the success in the space. You have to look out and say five to 10 years from now, if we look back, have we radically transformed the way business works? And, you know, does the average business on, on main street now incorporated some sort of decentralized blockchain into their tech, whether that's from inventory, marketing, communications, finance, tracking, payments, payroll, um, all of those supplier, you know, relationships and things like that. Could those be smart contracts? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's going to just take some time for that to happen. Right. And we talk about building businesses on top of NFTs. I know that you tweeted a while ago that you guys are working on helping members of Utes or D gods build upon their own IP. And I just want to touch on that. Like, what do you see the future of that becoming? Is it like a launch pad for certain people or like how you guys started your scholarship fund? How would that look uh, in the long term? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the way that we've approached this is that we learned a lot from D gods, right. In terms of like what it takes to like build a community and build a real loyal following and designed a bunch of things into Utes to make them even more accessible. So very brand safe, no cigarettes, no knives, no sticks, like just very clean art, very simple, but yet elegant palette of colors. And so there's not a lot of, you know, crazy colors. So you can add a color, you can add a logo, you can add things and the, and the art doesn't distract from that. You can actually have that logo pop. The other piece is we made that there's no rarity, right? So there's not this notion of like, hey, there's this one with only like five of this mythic trait. It's like, no, every trait exists the same number of times, 100% unique. So there's no duplicates and combinations. And the beauty of that is it allows the community to sort of decide what is rare and what is valuable, right? Like the community gets to like, you know, hey, I like this one more or this is changing over time or um and we think that will drive a lot of interest. And as we think about the business side of it and the integration, I think there's two things that we're really excited about with Utes. I think one is as we've started to talk to a lot of brands and a lot of folks that have not come into Web3, they want a way to do it safely. So they're like, hey, I have this idea for an NFT project or I have this idea to come into Web3. But if you do something in Web3, it's very permanent. Like it's on the blockchain. It exists forever. It's always in the validators. Like you can't delete it. And so what we found is that a lot of these businesses would love to come in or brands would love to come in and test something, you know, do a reward from our reward center where you exchange points and you connect with an audience that's very loyal and very vocal on Twitter and social with Utes. And you can test that utility. 
Does it work? Do people like this giveaway? Do they like this drop? Do they, are they interested in the, in the utility that a particular brand is giving a club or a trait? Um, in the reward center, they can sponsor a club and say, hey, I want this club to be sort of, you know, help the, extend my marketing team or give them early access to testing something. Like if they're launching uh, a new game and they want a handful of testers, they can say, hey, I want to work with this club to become, you know, a small beta group to focus on that. And we think those opportunities will not only allow the clubs and the holders to build sort of like their own businesses around that, but it's equally important for the brands to be able to test that utility and then say, okay, I've got a great idea. Now I can use that as a launch pad to actually mint my own collection, to actually mint my own NFTs and continue my web three journey of launching uh, my own utility. Again, using the same dust labs staking and, and reward system if they want um, to sort of like transition from like more of a sponsor ad type test to actually doing a full web three sort of engagement. And we think that is, going to be the more common way that large brands kind of dip their toe in web three initially by connecting with a big community. Cause I think what, what has happened a lot, there's a lot of applications, launchpad tools, agencies out there that are, you know, web three experts. The challenge is they don't have an actual community like youths. They don't have like a top community to test with. Right. And so like they're going around and, coming up with a great idea to integrate some brand or bring them into web three, but they don't have, they don't get to test right away with a community that's very active. And I think the opportunity that we've presented with Utes and V guys is say, Hey, you can come in and test and operate with these communities today, go activate, you know, come to, we're having a huge event in New York. So DNYC sold out about half the public hotel, you know, we're going to have a complete takeover of like our folks there that whole week, which will be pretty fun, but also brands that can activate around that and sponsor things like, you know, a scavenger hunt that's going to be all over New York for the week, which will be pretty fun, right? A bunch of really fun, you know, sort of activities, but again, allow brands to not only test digitally, but test IRL type of experiences. Right. So your launch pad is set apart. The problem I've seen with launch pads and why I was a little bit apprehensive when I heard, oh, another launch pad is because we've had, well, I've been a part of projects like, uh, I don't want to call any of the projects out, but uh, projects that went to like zero, like 0.01 ETH now or 0.00, where they've had like launch pads and they've had like celebrities come on, on strong NFTs through this project. But I think the problem might have been they were doing too much too fast. Like say this project came out five months ago or two months ago and then boom, launch pad. But I think with the gods, it's 15 months now, I believe, right? <laughs> so you guys have some staying power. So it sets you apart from other projects. Yeah, I think, I mean, and we don't want to just make a baby collection. Like we explicitly, like, you know, a lot of projects that were successful in the early waves, like D-Gods, tried to launch another project or a baby project. And that project, it didn't do as well, right? And I think the difference for D-Gods with Utes is that D-Gods launched and Utes is right up there with them, right? Like Utes is, if it wasn't for D-Gods, Utes would be the number one project on Solana, right? <laughs> um, and I think when we move to Polygon, Utes will by far be the leader on Polygon in terms of like community and market cap and whatnot. And so for us, when we launch a project or we or we come, you know, come through our studio or launch pad, we, we want to launch something in a lane that it can be, you know, be, be number one, right? We don't want to launch, um, you know, sort of secondhand or like projects that are like, hey, we're just you know, becoming a factory for a bunch of launches. Um, like that might work for a little bit, but to your point, it's really hard to build a sustainable community. Um, and so we'd rather focus on 
finding incredible creators, incredible community builders and help them launch a project um, with the right rails where they can actually be successful. I think to your point, the celebrity ones struggle because the celebrity can get the initial hype and interest, even a brand, right? Brand can say, hey, I run billboards. I can just go tweet it out from my big account. People will jump in because the brand can get a lot of like initial press release type attention. But if they don't actually curate and lead a community and foster the kind of like, you know, kind of almost daily engagement that it requires to make a Web3 community um, flourish, it's going to be disappointing in week six, week 60, et cetera, as that kind of scales on. And so for us, it's around finding founders, but also finding projects where there is proof of effort and you're going to go put in that months and months of work day to day. You know, it's a 24 hour, seven day a week job of like maintaining attention. And if it wasn't for Twitter, um, most NFT projects would be zero, right? Because like they, they have to be able to build attention. They have to build a following. And, and that I think is a unique aspect, but also really challenging for brands that don't operate on that sort of like real time break the internet scale. Now, a lot of YouTube creators, TikTok creators do operate on that sort of constantly looking for attention. And we think a lot of those may actually be potentially better leaders and founders than folks coming at it with a different side of utility. Again, specifically speaking around community NFTs, right? I think there's going to be different implementations of like concert tickets and things like that where the community aspect of a specific NFT is different because the utility is like, hey, I'm going to go to the event. Afterwards, I have this artifact that proves that I went to that event. Right. And I think D-Gods and I think Frank mentioned this recently on Bankless about Solana's more of like a TikTok where it's boom, 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 boom. It's really fast. And I want to speak on that because when D-Gods first came out, I was there during the Mint. Um, I didn't hold after the Mint, unfortunately. But um, during the Mint, um, you know, some stuff went wrong. And then I was I was thinking like, oh, this project might be done. I'm, I'm out of here, right? I sold for like six Solana, which is funny saying now. <laughs> I sold for six Solana. But then if you look back, it's like, wait, this project has somehow kept everyone's attention. And how has Dust Labs, you and Frank, uh, continued to captivate or keep everyone's attention? throughout the whole 15 months and bringing it from one Solana to now 500, 515 Solana floor. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's been a long journey. I think the, a lot, a lot of stuff hasn't worked. Like we've made a lot of mistakes. I think a lot of the experiments didn't pan out. I think the, if you had to boil it down to, it's just that consistent effort showing up. Like I always, you know, feed the pigs, right. It's kind of from my childhood of like, you have to go and like put in the work every morning. The pigs need to be fed every evening. The pigs need to be fed. And I think there's a there's an ethos of that in the team and, and Frank in particular and the folks that have you know joined to put in the work. Right. And so there's going to be days that work. There's going to be days that don't. And every launch is an experiment. Every launch is an opportunity to get better. And some of those launches are going to be great. And we've been fortunate in the last few that they've worked pretty well. Like and we also cut a lot of things like, um, you know, we'll build a whole application, a whole website and a launch and end up boiling it down and just launching something with a little bit of text, right. Or just launching something. Cause we're like, ah, the thing doesn't come together. We want to like make each thing a concrete sort of step forward. And if it's not like, this is going to be viral and this is like the best and the most proudest thing we've built, 
we'd rather go back to the lab and grind on it. And so people make a lot of jokes about delays and like us taking longer times, but we think that's a feature, not a bug. Um, and we think that is something that has made us stronger. And I think when things do go wrong, we don't hide, right? I think um, it's something that Frank takes on the shoulder a lot more often than he should in terms of like saying, hey, this isn't working. Let's set up a space and take feedback, like, and just AMA and just be out there. And I think um, we do that when things go good. We also do that when things go bad. And I think that notion of being accessible, you know, doing spaces or, and podcasts like this and like and, and talking to folks and constantly being out there is something that has allowed us to continue to grow um, in spite of making a lot of mistakes early on. But that transparency and that showing up every day um, over time is rewarded, right? So like, you know, in the short term, uh, it just seems like you're doing the work, but over the long term, that compounds into like a lot of uh, dividends back into the community. Right. Just a little bit off topic, but uh, I saw that you guys sure. acquired a big three team. And I just want to get the yeah. history behind how do you guys buy the killer threes, right? Is that the name of the team, correct? Yeah. How yeah. did that even come about? So we, um, somebody in our community connected us with Ice Cube. And uh, yeah, last year we purchased um, the rights to the big three, killer three team. And that's pretty cool. So we, you know, get tickets. We have floor side tickets. We have owner suite. Um, and Quite frankly, we didn't do a lot with it last year. Like the team um, did reasonably well, missed the playoffs by some technicality. There were some game cancellations in COVID. And so uh, we're excited for this season to come back. Um, you know, a couple other NFT projects had purchased them as well. Uh, like Gary V's um, V Friends has one. There was a couple others that uh, picked up those. There's actually Ice Cube did an interview just this past week. Um, there's actually some interest from some private equity to purchase a couple teams and maybe resell some of the teams that were sold, which is pretty interesting. Um, but for us, you know, Frank's a, a big basketball player and, and has always just been a passionate sort of massive, massive Lakers fan and was like, wouldn't it be kind of cool to own a basketball team and to be and like, let's try it. And I think um, to us, it's just another way to activate the audience like it was a little tough coming out of COVID because a lot of the games were like, you know, compressed into a couple weekends and only at a couple cities. Now there's going to be, I think, 11 or 12 cities this season um, coming out uh, starting in usually in June. June, July is kind of the main part of the season. Um, and it'll be great. Like we're going to get a lot more holders out there. We're going to go to a bunch of games, um, be able to connect with folks and really see kind of the benefit of that community. And it's just fun. I mean, I'm sure you've been to sports games in your life and like sports is just an incredible way uh, to rally friends. Even if you're not into the game or you're not into sports, it's just fun to go hang out with friends and be part of an event. Right. And uh, right. Um, I, I think the the big three provides an opportunity for that, but it sort of has that web three ethos that, you know, you're sort of owners in, in a sense that you, you know, ha have like uh, your rights aligned with the team that you're cheering for. And it's, um, I don't know, when you were in high school or college, you always feel allergic to those teams just because you sort of share a little bit of history. And I think um, the killer threes now every D got a new holder share a little bit of like allegiance to that team in the sense that, um, and I think from a fan sort of loudness perspective, I don't think there was a louder sort of audience. Like if we, we were looking at some of the social stats of all the teams and the killer threes were by far the, had the biggest fan base. And we think that's, uh, you know, gotta be motivating for the team. And, and we're pretty excited about this season. Sir, are you a basketball fan yourself? 
I am, you know, I've watched the Warriors games, you know, the, when I was a kid, I was born in Oakland. So I grew up, uh, you know, Warriors fan. And obviously the Warriors struggled in those early years back then. Uh, it's been a lot more fun being a Warriors fan in the last, you know, five to 10 years and, uh, and Curry and whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, I think um, definitely go to a couple games a year. Um, and uh, I think it was just a great way to connect and, and seeing the Killer Threes. I have not been to a Killer Threes game, so that's on my list for this year to definitely make it out to some of the games. Um, last year, because of the way our travel schedule worked out and with COVID and stuff, wasn't able to make it. This question right here is very important. Um, do you think LeBron or Jordan is the best of all time? Oh, man. Dude, I, you know, as I was, I have to say Jordan only because, like, when I grew up as a kid, you know, that was what, when I was most connected to basketball and, and seeing, like, how he dominated the game. And I think, I mean, LeBron's amazing. But I, I guess for me, there's a bit of nostalgic in the value that like, and I think it's tough, right? Because I think this debate would go the other way if I was at the house with Frank and the guys. Um, there definitely would, would pull for LeBron. I think partly because like that's their generation. They grew up when LeBron was playing. And I think for me, I still lean back to, to Jordan. I'm at the end interview right now. That was the uh, wrong answer. Um, I wanted to hear LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. No, I'm just kidding. When... When we're talking about Dow's, uh, do you see that as the almost of the end game for D Gods, like giving the community back to the holders, or will you continue with the roadmap after roadmap, the roadmap season after season after season? Like, what does the end game look like almost for D Gods or Dust Labs? Yeah, I think I think they're different. So I think for the NFT projects, it's to be the best community online like we want to build the biggest and the best community and i think the nft is just uh you know a vehicle to do that um we want this to be the ultimate social club across the world and we think that that's you know as people spend more and more time online being able to have um a group of friends that they can connect with and and, and we think is, is pretty important and so when we think of DAOs it sounds a little bit like the HOA at the house, you know, kind of thing where it's like a little bit stuffy and it's like not a lot of participation. And we really want to reinvent what that means and really lean towards something that is much, much higher participation, right? Typical DAOs get five to 7% participation in their votes. And for us that we want to find something that's, you know, many, many double digits, you know, 50, 60, 70%, something much, much higher participation. And so, as we've thought about um, how, you know, the decentralization process goes and how the DAO continues to evolve is like, we really want to have proposal-based systems that have like incredibly high engagement because we do think that that's the best for the community, but also will kind of flex the strength of that community and their interest in like aligned with, with what we want to evolve. With Dust Labs, I think it's different. I think Dust Labs is a, you know, venture-backed software company the end game is, you know, scaling revenue, scaling equity, uh, scaling the value of the business. And that really revolves around building software and technology that scales that can bring, you know, thousands and then tens of thousands of brands and businesses online in this in a way that they may not call it Web3 or NFTs at that point. It may look like loyalty. It may look like ticketing. It may look like finance. It's going to have different words around it. Um, but we think the primitives will be very similar to what we're seeing today, at least starting from that point. Right. I like how uh, Reddit has rebranded their NFTs to calling it like collectibles now. And there's no there's no self-custody. Yeah. It's just 
password, username, and then here's your own, uh, I guess, collectibles, not NFTs. And that has like like a million plus users just from Reddit who just before they all hate. Yeah, I think it's over three million now. It's really? incredible. Yeah, I think the notion of digital collectibles is a lot more relatable to folks that have not spent a lot of time with the NFT space. And I think NFT as a word has an allergic reaction to a lot of folks. And so I do think the notion of like digital collectibles or we did uh, a mint on ordinals with uh, Bitcoin. And so put 535 of our burn D gods in ordinals. And again, that is much more of a digital artifact, digital collectible. And we think that um, from a name nomenclature definitely maps better for like art fans and things of that nature. And it also leans to a, a wider adoption, we think on the, in the broader web three space. That's why I'm also excited for the Coinbase uh, Layer 2 launch. I feel like it's going to integrate people from just the Coinbase app who don't want to make their own MetaMask wallet or their own Phantom. And it's like, hey, you can do it all on just on this Web2 app. And you can do your Uniswap there, your Rainbow um, XYZ and everything else on there. So I think it's really exciting at this time. Because I feel like we're seeing that transition over like right there like at that early adoption phase for NFTs. No, 100%. I think it is incredibly, incredibly early, um, which to me is exciting because like we're sort of, at a sense, the innovators, the pioneers of this space and all of us that are in this early have an opportunity to be part of something really big as this scales, but also decide what that big thing is. Like, how is that going to work? What's going to be the main themes? Um, and to us, that to me, you know, is why I wake up every day just excited to work in the space. Yes, sir. Well, we're right at that. 30 minute mark. I really appreciate you coming on and I really enjoyed the interview. For anybody who's watching, is there anywhere awesome. to find you on your socials, LinkedIn? You're, you're pretty famous. So I think everyone knows where to find you, but just in case they don't know. <laughs> Kevin D. Gods on Twitter is the easiest way. And uh, yeah, Jordan, I really appreciate you spending the time and uh, really thoughtful questions. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Of course.